We're going to begin reading in verse number 30, and we'll read, um, I think what we'll do is we'll read uh, down through verse 41-ish, and uh, we'll stop there uh, for our reading this morning. So let's stand together, if you would, verse 30, if you would, follow along with me. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. For by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever receiveth me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do miracles in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading of the Word of God this morning. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the richness of the, the Word of God, Lord, and how it speaks to where we live and what we're going through. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would take what is said this morning from your Word, that, Lord, you would challenge us and fill us and use us for your glory. And Lord, we'll praise you for all that you do. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. You can be seated there. Jesus' ministry had started with haste, and Marx puts that speed in front of us all the time. He's constantly saying things of Anon, moving right along, let's keep moving forward, he's marching it through, and you can imagine the excitement of the apostles when they first uh, join with Jesus on this ministry, and they're seeing his miracles, and they're wowed by his miracles. Uh, but now we're coming to the place of kind of a transition time in the ministry of Christ where the ministry of Christ is becoming more clear that it is not a ministry of supremacy, but a ministry of suffering. And when that shifting starts taking place, people start leaving. And the first people that Jesus begins to reveal this to is the apostles. How many of you think, understand that some, some things don't always work out like you expect them to work out? How many of you have ever started on a trip and you got all this excitement on a trip and you got in the middle of it and you found out this isn't all it's cracked up to be? Yeah, we've been there, haven't we? So I didn't intend to use this illustration right now, but uh, we, we went on a little canoeing trip this weekend and uh, we left Thursday morning and we were excited, weren't we guys? Uh, but by Thursday night or Thursday night about 3 a.m., when the temperature dropped to about 38 degrees... And all of our stuff was soaking wet. We were thinking, this isn't all it was cracked up to be. Uh, I think Cracker Barrel is sounding really good right now. 
And so we loaded up in the van and drove to Cracker Barrel. So, uh, but it's a, uh, things don't always go the way you expect them to go. They don't always come out the way you were. You may have heard this. If you have, don't spoil it for others. But picture, if you would, perspective changes things. The way we look at things change things. So picture in your mind a man leaving home on foot, goes a little way, turns left, a little way, turns left again, a little way, turns left again. And the further he goes, the faster he moves, and people start screaming at him. And as he's coming back to home, he meets two men in masks. What is he doing, and where is he at? And your mind kind of goes, what's going on? But I'll say one word, and it all makes sense. Baseball. He leaves home. He turns left. He turns left. He turns left. The further he goes, the louder people get, and he meets two men in a mask at home again. And it all makes sense when you put things in the perspective. The apostles had read the Old Testament, had been taught the Old Testament, had heard it read all through their youth, and yet they were not seeing it in the perspective of all that was unfolding. They were seeing it only from one line. Some people call this the mountaintop view of prophecy. As they looked through the Old Testament, all they saw was the high places. They didn't understand the valleys between them. And if you stand on one side of the mountain range, you can see the peaks of the mountain, but you can't see the valleys that are in between. And the same way, they were missing the valleys that were coming. Though they were prophesied, though they were taught about, we always want to see the mountaintops before we understand the valleys. Now, I will remind you, though, that it is in the valley where the fruit grows. Not much grows on the mountaintop. And we see that God is now taking them into this time of valley and they are descending to the cross. And the most important part of all of human history is about to take place in just a short order before the apostles. And Jesus comes to them and gives them some information and tells them very plainly what it is. And I want to look at that this morning and just have titled the message, Confused and Afraid. Confused and Afraid. How many have ever been there? Confused and afraid. You see, they were amazed with him and his power. He warns them of his coming passion in our text. I, I want to read it again for the sake of the plainness of it, because as we read it, knowing what is to come, we don't miss it. And quite frankly, I have a hard time understanding how they missed it. But look what he says here as we begin in verse number 31, for he taught his disciples and said unto them, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. It's a straightforward instruction. It's a clear demonstration or declaration of what he's going to be doing. And yet, they did not understand, and they were afraid. Verse 32, but they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. They didn't understand, and they were afraid to ask him. We see the intimate instruction of the apostles. Jesus pulls them away from the crowd, and as we paint this picture for you in your mind, uh, all the eyes and ears of the public that had surrounded them, Jesus now calls a quiet session with his apostles, and he lays this out for him, and he says, the Son of Man will be betrayed. The, the phrase we would use in our modern vernacular is he's going to be sold down the river. He's going to be uh, set out, and no doubt he's speaking of one of the 12 that are there in that group that is going to betray him. Judas will betray me. Here's an interesting thing. The Son of Man, the creator of the world, will be betrayed or sold down the river into the hands of men. 
That's something we have to get our head around, that somehow or another the creator God subjected himself to human hands. He created the very hands that drove the nails into his hands. He spoke into existence the tree that he was nailed to. He did all of that knowing what was going to come, and yet God had humbled himself. And as we looked in Philippians 2 on Wednesday nights a few weeks ago, how that God humbled himself to the form of a servant, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In this amazing picture of the creator of the world condescending to you and I and becoming the servant of all. And it's in this declaration that he is trying to teach them what they are going to struggle with in the very next passage. Jesus is showing himself the humble servant of all. He's showing himself the one without ambition. He made himself of no reputation. And yet in the very next text, the apostles are sitting back. Hey, who's going to be the best one? Who's going to be the right-hand guy? Who's the greatest among us? Peter, James, and John are like, hey, we went up on the mountain with him. That must count for something. What happened up there? Oh, we can't tell you. It's elite information. And they're looking for a way to find out who is the best among them. I think it's, it's almost humorous was when Jesus walks up to them in verse number 33. He came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourself by the way? Verse number 34, but they held their peace. It's, I kind of picture that, you know, you got a, a group of young people at the house and they're laughing about something. And then I walk out and like, hey guys, what's going on? Nobody wants to talk right now? What's going on? I wonder how many conversations that you and I have had that if Jesus were to walk into the midst of it, we would stop and hold our peace. And we wouldn't want to reveal to him what we were talking about. We wouldn't want to say out loud what it was that was going on in our heart. And here the apostles do the same thing. He said, the son of man will be betrayed into the hands of men. They shall kill him. But then his instruction goes further. He shall rise the third day. This is plain teaching, and yet it was not understood. Because this was not the narration that they had set up in their mind. They didn't have the word baseball to make it clear to them. They didn't have savior of the world in their mind. All they had in their mind was savior of Israel in their mind. They didn't see a crucified, risen Savior. They saw a victorious king on the throne of David. And they're missing the perspective that they needed. They were not listening because they thought they already knew. And how many times do you and I blow past passages of Scripture day in and day out in our daily Bible reading, and we're not really listening to what it's saying because we think we already know what it's saying? And we're not slowing ourselves down long enough. And let me just challenge you. I'm all for reading through the Bible in a year, and, and I've made that a practice for many years to do that. But let me challenge you. I would much rather you read three verses a day that you understood and meditate on than I would read 30 chapters that you get nothing out of. Make the Word of God something that you meditate upon, that you chew on. Someone said that meditation is to Scripture what digestion is to food. That as we meditate upon the word of God, we begin to understand and to apply it and to make it important. Now, I, I'm not trying to get you to, you know, okay, pastor, I'm going to read a verse of scripture every morning and meditate on it. Jesus wept. All right, I've done that. Good. I'll meditate on that all day long. I'm not trying to give you a lazy man's way out, but I am trying to encourage you to slow down and understand what the text is saying and to read on it and to meditate upon it and let it sink down into your ears. I think it's interesting they were afraid to ask him. 
Why do you suppose they were afraid to ask? You know, we, we often even still use this expression, don't we? Well, I'm afraid to ask. I'm afraid to ask. And why, why are we afraid to ask? Because we don't want to know the answer. We don't want to know the implications of what the question we're asking is. And I don't think the fear that they had of asking the questions because they were afraid Jesus was going to take a whip and beat them with it. They weren't physically afraid of him. They were fearful of what the implications of his teaching might be. And it's almost like, hey, we've got the Messiah with us. We've got the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He can raise the dead. He can cleanse lepers. He can make bread from nothing. This is amazing. I mean, we've got Rome where we want them. And they're thinking, man, if this is a dream, don't wake me up. Because I don't want to know if this is going to change. And they're missing the point again. They were afraid to ask. They could have questioned in their mind and no doubt wrestled in their mind. Is there another meaning of this declaration of suffering? Is there a spiritual application that can be made here that would allow us in to face, uh, to keep from facing this stark reality that he's describing? Is there a way that we can hold on to our image of kingdom building and hold on to this message of a suffering servant? And they didn't want to ask the question because they didn't really want it reconciled in their mind. And I think too often, church, if we're not careful, we can get in the same place where we look at what the, the, we've been sold to as the American dream and what Christianity calls us to, and we can wrestle between the two. And let me say this, God does not bless us so that we can just consume our blessings upon us. Anytime God blesses his people, he blesses us that we might be a blessing, that we might serve him. God puts resources in our hands for us to do his work, not for us to consume it upon our own lust. So let's ask the question, God, what does it look like today to be that suffering servant? What does it look like when I come face to face with circumstances I don't understand, when God sends circumstances that I don't approve of? Nobody ran this by me. Nobody came to me and checked with me if it was okay for this to happen. I don't know about you. Do you ever get enraged with the circumstances of life? Do you ever get aggravated to the point of just, my, we used to have an expression down south, I could just spit nails right now, you know? And I'm just so angry at the circumstances and I find myself raging against the circumstances and, and that oppose me in my view of my own importance because ultimately, when circumstances don't go my way and I get angry with them, it's because I think I'm more important than I really am. And ultimately, if God is in control, my raging against the circumstances is my raging against God. And here the apostles are afraid, confused, frustrated that Jesus would even say this. In the previous chapter, Peter went so far as to rebuke the Lord for saying he was going to be crucified. Let me give you a couple of admonitions if I could this morning. Let our weakness provoke us to, to ask questions. Let our weaknesses provoke us to ask questions. Ask questions of the text of Scripture. Ask questions on our knees in prayer. Let our confusion and misunderstanding provoke us to ask the questions. As we come to the unknowns of life, there is no place in Scripture that tells me it is wrong for me to ask God why. The psalmist asked him why many times. Or to ask him how long. It's not wrong to ask the questions. 
The questions are a continued dialogue with him. Here's the thing. When you ask a question of the text, I promise you this, truth is not shaken by your questions. Now, I will tell you this, that many times leaders are shaken by your questions. I mean, how many of you have, you've had children, you've had questions from your kids that you're like, I'm either not ready to answer that right now, but I don't appreciate the fact you're pointing out I'm doing, I'm doing what I just told you not to do. Um, and they ask the question, but why? But why? But why? And they continue to press that question home. And what it does is it exposes oftentimes in leaders that we're not as consistent as we thought we were. But I promise you this, truth can stand up to questions. This morning, maybe you're even wondering about the whole of Christianity and you're looking at it and you've got questions in your mind like, did God really create the world? Is this something that God is really in charge of? Is, is God really the savior of the world? Did he really die for our sins? Is this a real thing? And you're sitting back and you're wondering, well, man, if I ask that question, my parents would be really upset with me. If I ask that question, what would the pastor think of me? Let me just encourage you to ask that question and pursue it honestly in the word of God. And I promise you, you search the scriptures, they speak of Jesus. It can bear up to your questions. And so when our weaknesses are exposed, ask the questions. When confusion and misunderstanding come about, ask the question. Let's just be honest enough to, to answer his questions when he asks as well. Because when you begin to ask questions of the scripture, he'll ask questions of you. What are you talking about? What are you discerning in your own heart? See, they weren't ready for the answer to his questions because they weren't willing to answer his. They weren't willing to hear what he had to say because they didn't want to tell him what truly was on their heart. So now we move to this. I think oftentimes we disconnect our powerlessness, our prayerlessness, from our poor misunderstanding of the word of God. We disconnect our poor understanding of the word of God from our unwillingness to be honest with the Lord. An unwillingness to say, I don't understand. I want to understand. We disconnect our powerlessness from our unwillingness to seek him in prayer. Remember last week, this kind cometh not but by prayer and fasting. You see, this kingdom that Jesus was laying out before them was a kingdom of surrender, not supremacy. That didn't make sense. It was a kingdom of service, not lordship. It was a kingdom of people, not promotions. It was a kingdom of truth and not one that just sought sectarianism or cliques or little groups of people. And and even the apostles are saying, hey, we saw these guys over here and they were casting out demons in your name. And we told them to stop it because they don't go to our church. They, don't hang, they weren't a part of our denomination. And so I told them to leave that alone and stop that mess. And Jesus looked at them and he said, forbid them not. Another passage of scripture, it goes so far as Jesus saying, look, the servant will be judged by his master, not by another servant. So leave him to his master. Let his master take care of him. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. He's not with us. If he's not against us, he's with us. And it's an interesting turn of phrase here that Jesus is putting with them because he's showing them of the servanthood versus this, this sectarian act attitude of elitism that they had. And he's trying to put this in perspective. And in one place, he says, if, if you're not with me, you're against me. And here he says, if you're not against me, you're with me. 
One commentator pointed out, he said, here's the way we ought to look at that reversal of statement. That when we're checking our own heart, we say if we're not with him, we're against him. But when we're checking someone else's, we say if they're not against him, they're with him. And so we examine our own heart to check and see are we truly with him. And if we're not truly with him in our own heart, then we're against him. And then we just ask the question of everybody else. They're not opposing him. They're not against him. So they're with him. And let God be the one who judges. Let God be the one who sets his servant straight. They were seeking the sectarianism. It was a kingdom of sacrifice, not selfish ambition. So why did they not understand? Why didn't they ask? They were not willing to believe it. They were fearing giving up traditional beliefs that they had held to from childhood. Let me just say again this morning, seek truth, not security. Seek truth this morning, not certainty. You can be certain of a lie and still hold on to a lie. Seek truth. Truth is that which is in agreement with reality. It's what is in agreement with the word of God and the reality around us. And by the way, those things are not in competition. So seek truth, not certainty. Seek truth, not comfort. Too often we have the concept, well, I'd rather believe a lie that brings comfort than the truth that brings fear or a tear. I promise you this, there is greater hope in truth when we know the truth. And there is any lie that would help us sleep at night. It's a false comfort. You see, the implications of the gospel take us out of our comfort zone. They take us to a place of servanthood. They take us to a place of sacrifice. The implication, remove my demands, uh, and remove my demands and my selfish ambitions from me, and they set them apart from me and say, I have no demands. I have no uh, ambition. I'm going to lay it all down and be the servant as Christ was. Let nothing, Philippians 2 again, be done through strife or vainglory. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. I think we don't ask, we don't question, because we don't want to be responsible for the information. See, when we ask the question and we know the answer, we now have a responsibility to it. We have a responsibility to serve. You see, ignorance breeds fear and fear keeps me ignorant. We must break the cycle and ask the hard questions. Don't let the will of God, no matter how dark the valley, shake you from the truth of God's word. He has a purpose and he is working his purpose. And just because the valley is dark doesn't mean he's forsaken us. Doesn't mean that he is not king of kings and lord of lords. Because even these apostles in their fearfulness and their unwillingness to ask the questions were sitting in the presence of almighty God in flesh. He was still just as much God on the cross as he will be when the trumpet sounds and he comes victorious again. He is still king of kings and lord of lords. Let me say this, get settled what you know to be true in the midst of unshaking times. Peter, just go back one chapter and when you're hearing this, go back to that confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of of the living God. And if that is the case, then I promise you, he's not getting the future wrong. He's not getting the circumstances mixed up. You can rest in who he is, Peter. You don't need to rebuke him. You need to rebuke your own heart. Because he, if he is the Christ, then we can settle ourselves upon it. 
This morning, let me just challenge you. If you're not settled on the fact that this book right here is the word of God, get it settled in your heart. Every mom and dad and boy and girl and teenager this morning, get it settled in your heart that the Bible is the word of God. I remember just as a little one sitting in, in, in preschool classes with our teachers standing up and they'd say, yeah, boys and girls, what is the Bible? And we'd respond, the Bible is the word of God. Who wrote the Bible? God wrote the Bible. How did God write the Bible? God chose some men who loved him very much to write the Bible. And it was taught me time and time and time again. But I can remember also when I was a 17, 18-year-old boy where I opened up the Word of God for myself and I sat down alone in my little room and leaned against my weight bench in my bedroom and I opened the Bible up with my dad's green concordance and I began to search the Scripture and I came to the conclusion that the Bible is the Word of God. And I could ask the question and I could answer the question for myself. And this morning, if you don't have the question answered for yourself, I don't care if you're 10 years old or you're 100 years old, answer the question and get it answered soon. What is the Bible? The Bible is the word of God and get it settled in your heart because when the storms come, and by the way, storms will come. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of our young people right now as I go through this in my mind, but just how many years ago now? 18 years ago, youth pastor in Pittsburgh, and I remember standing in front of a group of 25 or 30 teens and preaching, and I would say to them something like this, hey guys, storms are gonna come to your life. Marriages are gonna go through hard times. Kids are gonna get sick. They're gonna end up in the hospital. And you need to drive down some anchors in your life that you know that the Bible is the word of God because when the storms come, you need an anchor that is better than I think so. And I remember saying that, and I... On Facebook, I'm connected with a few of those young people that are now in their 30s. And I'm thinking of one young man right now whose three-year-old little boy has cancer. And they're begging God to heal that little boy. And let me say life comes, and it comes unexpectedly, and heartaches come, and you need an anchor. Get it settled in your mind that you know that the Bible is the word of God. Get settled in your mind the person and work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. There is no way to the Father but through him. If you don't have that settled this morning, you are on shifting sands. Get it settled in your heart and mind. Get, it, get settled in the heart, your heart and mind the bigness of God. And, and if I could say you anything that our church, we need to make sure we keep this in front of us. God is not a small-minded, small God. He is a big God who is very powerful and very much in control. And I promise you this, the work of the church is not dependent upon Washington. The work of the church marches forward no matter what any news network says. The gospel of Jesus Christ still has a mission. You understand, I love our nation, and I love the history of our nation, and if you want to talk history of American history, I'll sit down and talk with you for hours and weep while we talk about it. But here's the reality. Nations rise and nations fall, but God's word endures. His church will march on. And if there ever comes a day in human history before the trumpet sounds that the red, white, and blue doesn't fly anymore, it will be a sad day when that takes place. But I got news for you. The cross of Jesus Christ will still be just as high. And it will still be marching on. And don't ever let the world around you cause you to lose heart because of how bad it is. Get a picture of a big God. 
You see, they had a very small picture of God, a God that could deliver a nation, but not a God who was interested in reaching every nation and tongue and tribe and language, a God of all creation. They had a small God. We need a big God. And this morning, we serve a big God. Ask this morning, he's willing to answer. And by the way, ask and keep on asking. Search the scriptures, they speak of Christ. Serve others. Don't seek your position or promotion. You see, clarity did not come right away to the apostles. And as you begin to ask the questions, there may be a time of the valley of the shadow of death where you don't get an answer right away. And you struggle through that time. And in that time, understand that he's still God, he's still able, and there will come a day where he stood like he did before Thomas. I love the picture of Thomas. I'm not going to believe unless I can thrust my hand in his side and put my fingers in the prints in his hands. And Jesus shows up before him, and he said, Thomas, reach hither your hand. Put your fingers in the prints in my hands. And I love the words of Thomas. He falls down and he says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And there was a moment of clarity for even Thomas when he came clear of who Jesus really was. This morning, I hope you get it settled in your heart. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, your word is so sufficient. Lord, it speaks to where we live. It speaks to our hearts. Lord, I pray, Father, that every person under the sound of my voice would get settled in their heart what they believe. Father, that they would latch upon the word of God and know it to be true. Lord, I pray, Father, that the pursuit of truth would be our pursuit, not the pursuit of certainty, not the pursuit of comfort. Holy Spirit of God, give us what we stand in need of. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, we're just going to take a moment of silence here in our seats. I know with the distancing and all that, it's very hard for us to come and kneel right now. But I wonder if maybe God is doing a work in your heart this morning. Maybe this morning you could not say, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I know that he is my Lord. If you're here this morning and that's you, let me just challenge you to get it settled today before it's too late. I'm not going to come to you or embarrass you. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand because you know before God who you are. I would just challenge you this morning, don't put it off. Adult, this morning, have you settled in your heart that the Bible is the word of God? And it can be trusted and believed. Children, teens, this morning, have you got it settled in your heart that you can say the Bible is the word of God? Not because daddy told you it was or mama told you it was, but because you've opened it and you know it. Let me challenge you this morning to get it settled. Don't put it off. Make this summer the summer where you settle it in your heart. Christian, maybe you're in a place of uncertainty and frustration and you don't see God as big right now. Let me challenge you to go to the scripture and look at how big God is. What a great big God. Let me challenge you to turn off the news and open up the book of truth and let it settle the bigness of God in your heart. Father, we ask you to just continue to do a work in our midst. Lord, as we sing, we magnify you. Lord, may you not 
uh, allow this truth to slip from us quickly. In the precious name of